Well, if you have your hymnals, put your Bibles down. Don't need your Bibles today. If you have your hymnals, what's the, what's the page? What is it? Where's Alex? What is it? What's the name of it? Everybody together. Okay. Guys, if you haven't figured it out yet, we have a lot of fun around here. We're just one big happy family. And um, all the unhappy people, we make them leave. We're just one big happy family here. And uh, we appreciate you being here today. If you're looking for a church, uh, like I said, my door is always open. Uh, I'll help you any way I can. And, uh, you know, we just, uh, we just care about people. We care about you getting everything out of life that God wants you to have. And that's all we're interested in. Now, last week, we started John chapter 6. And we saw Christ as the bread of life. And um, we talked about the feeding of the 5,000. You know, that story that everybody understands and knows about, even though maybe they can't find it in the Bible, but it's an incredible story that really will lay out just how God will work in your life to give you the Word of God. And uh, I gave you, if you remember, I gave you six fundamental things that came out of this great chapter that every child of God uh, should know and understand. And we took our time with it and, and laid it out. And, you know, those six things, just as recap, because we're going to move into another verse in this same story today. But we talked about, first of all, how that it takes a supernatural miracle to get God's Word. If you're here this morning and your life has got trouble in it and your life is, is problematic and you're not happy with it and you're unfulfilled, you're the greatest example today of what the world will do for you. It'll leave you empty. And what God has for you will, will fill you up. But it isn't going to happen just because you come to church. It isn't going to happen because you want to be a good person, and maybe you probably are. It happens because God has to do something supernatural in your life. And when God gets into your world through that new birth relationship and you trust Christ as your own personal Savior, as Colby did the other night, then God begins to, uh, God begins to give you his word. Luke chapter 24, verse 45 says, Then opened he their understanding that they might understand the Scriptures. If God doesn't open up your understanding through your personal relationship with you, and give you the knowledge, the wisdom, and the understanding about His Word, then all you're ever going to get is what the world has for you. And you can see now, most of you who are saved here today, and even maybe if you're here that you're not saved, never trusted Christ, you now see what the world has done for you. Nothing. It puts you into a no-win situation. Bible likens it to a bag uh, with holes in it, that everything you put in it that you think means something, when you get to the end of the life, you dump that bag out, and it all fell out because it had holes in it. That's life without Christ. And, uh, and so that's what we're here for. The second thing was the fact that God will put you into seemingly uh, impossible situations to prove us. And so that's why sometimes we have issues in our lives that seemingly overwhelm us, that we don't know where to turn. And God is doing that so you'll turn to Him. <clears throat> He's doing that. We used to say, I haven't heard it much, you know, we used to say that God will put you down so far that all you can do is look up. And that is so true. And sometimes God will put situations in our lives and it's to prove us. And He wants to prove us by what we're going to do. And uh, so when we face any, any, any terrible 
you know, trial, one of the things that you look for is, we talked about this Thursday night, is that people will either react to it or they'll respond to it. And when somebody reacts to it, then they just have a knee-jerk reaction, like, and they deal with it from the world's viewpoint. But when you respond to something, that's where the answers are. Because a response to whatever you're going through in life, whether you're not saved or you are saved and you have issues in your life, the response will always come through the principles of the Word of God. And God will <coughs> filter whatever you're going through. He'll, he'll make it more workable. He'll put people in your life that'll help you, that'll be there for you. I tell people that come in to me to have problems in their life, you know, and, and they want help. And we're all about helping them. And I tell them. I said, you know what? I can guarantee you this. I can't take all your problems away just like that. But what I can guarantee you is this. From this point on, you'll never have to go through anything by yourself again. We're here for you. And what we do is we take and open up the Bible. We give you principles. We help you apply them. We stick with you. We're not somebody that just goes and tells you what to do. We work with you and help you through every aspect because the trials of life God will put seemingly sometimes overwhelming circumstances to bring us to Christ, and then through that, He proves us. And that's how He proves us. Are we going to follow the Bible, or are we going to stay with what we know that doesn't work? And you would be surprised with the people who their life is upside down, they're in all kinds of issues, but they see a light at the end of the tunnel, but they just turn and they go the other way. And uh, it's a thing where the Bible is here and God will use circumstances to prove us. The third thing we talk about, that God will get you alone and away from all the clutter of life to teach you. You know, my own personal testimony in that is the fact that a number of years ago, uh, before I moved to Kansas City, but I launched into a program to to lay out and to cross-reference every verse in the Bible. And there's 31,176 verses in the King James Bible. And my goal, it took me 10 years to do it, but my goal was that I was going to cross-reference every Bible verse, lay it out, give it all three applications, and do everything that I could do. And the way I did that was to carve out time when it was just me and God. I would look for every opportunity to do that. There are times that I could get two hours in a day. There were times over the holidays that I could actually get eight hours a day. I'd just go down someplace by myself with me and the Lord, open that book, and begin to put it all together. And like I said, I, I, I used every opportunity that I could. I remember one time uh, years ago, 20 years ago at least, you know, I had found this book that I've, I've told you about this before. It was called The Kings of Israel and Judah. And it was a guy by the name Knapp. I think it was K-N-A-P-P was his name. Probably the greatest single book I ever found of laying out the 33 kings of Israel and the 33 kings of Judah, which is a very complicated thing. And the book wasn't about that thick, but it was incredible material. But I knew that I had to get that at one setting. I knew that that was so involved that I just had to take... and. and sections of the Bible and get alone with God and then get what he had for me. I'll never forget. We were somewhere, <coughs> Europe, South Africa, I forget where we were, but it was a, like a 12-hour plane flight back from wherever we were to back to Chicago or whatever it was. 
And I had made up my mind. I stuck that book in there in my backpack, and I made up my mind that that, that was going to be my time. And the flight wasn't full, and I got out of my seat and went back in the back, and I had it pretty much to myself. And I put my, my, he- I put my headphones on so I wasn't distracted. And when the wheels went up, I opened down my tray, and I went to work. And 12 hours later, when we touched down in Chicago, I closed my Bible, and I had all that done. But I did, it was the time that, that it was alone time. God has to get you alone, and sometimes he has to force that situation to get you alone. And it's a thing where, you know, uh, and, and much of what I learned today, uh, you know, and teach you today is stuff that I learned back there that he put into my basket, the fragments, remember last week? And, and uh, I, I, I've, I've lived on them forever. The fourth thing is that God will use other people in your life to get you to his word. I, I mean, I, how can I pass this up? This is Colby. I mean, uh, one of the finest young men. You know, he came out here from Washington State, and you guys took him under your wing. Everybody brought him in. Everybody loved him. And uh, you know what? It, God, will, God will put people into your world when you have a tough time or you're looking for answers. God will put somebody in your world. I, I, I say this almost without exception. Everybody here this morning, that's a part of this church, you got here because somebody cared enough about you to help you and bring you along, and here you are, here you are today. And my whole job is to build people to build other people. That's what we do here. Reproducing yourself in others. And you know, <coughs> Timothy says, at 1 Timothy 2, 2, that we, the things that he, you, you've heard of me, the same things you commit to faithful men, and that's what we do. Sharing your life with others. Taking what you have when you see somebody doesn't have it or somebody has a need or they're going through a really tough time. And you being that lifeline to them. You being that person who reaches out to them. You bring them to church. You get them around good, solid people who love God and the Word of God. And then you just simply let the Holy Spirit of God do the rest. It starts, obviously, with your own family your wife and your kids, and then it'll grow to include others. Uh, You you know, you want to see what's really happening in a Christian's life. You never listen to what they say. Just look at their family. Look at their kids. You know, it's a thing where good or bad, they are the reality of what and who we really are, and you just cannot get out from under the responsibility, and that's why I want you to stay. Oh, you guys got your Bibles open. You're disobeying me. (laughs) Investing in others. The fifth thing. God will not only fill you up today, but he'll store up the fragments for later growth. Twelve baskets full. There's a commercial on television that's for one of the credit cards or something. I don't know. But the guy always ends the commercial by asking, and what's in your wallet? You know what I'm talking about? Well, I got a question for you. What's in your basket this morning? What's Christ storing up for you? What have you got into in the Bible that you really didn't understand, but God, you just put it outside and God's got it in the basket of fragments and pretty soon he's going to pull it all together for you. He said in Isaiah chapter 28, verse 9, whom shall he teach knowledge and whom shall he make to understand doctrine? And uh, he says those that are weaned from the milk, that's the basic things of the Bible, to the meat. That's the doctrine things of the Bible. Then he says precept upon precept, Line upon line, here a little and there a little. You gather it in 
and you can understand some of it now, <coughs> but in time, God adds it all up for you and you, when you follow the process that he has for you. And most of God's people just simply won't do that. That's why they go through their whole life. They'll be saved 20, 30, 40 years, man, and they're still asking the questions that you, somebody asked when they just got saved. And, you know, you've got to ask yourself, what's in your basket today? The sixth thing, <coughs> God's word will reveal who God really is in your life. Boy, do we need that one. Honestly, most of God's people have no idea who Christ really is. They have some idea in their head, some concept that they have formulated because, you know, uh, based on what they've heard or the churches that they went to. But in reality, they don't have any clue. And to, and to prove that point beyond debate, just look at God's people that have been saved 10, 15, 20, 30 years. And they still have no clue. They, they, they couldn't, they, they, they're like the people in Hebrews chapter 6, you know, or 5, uh, verse 12, that you have to over and over and over again teach them the first principles of the oracles of God. Why? Because they're not learning anything. And they're still struggling <coughs> with the same old problems today as they were the day they got saved. It shouldn't be that way. There's a key word in the Bible you had to learn. It's called victory. And God gave you the victory over sin when he got saved, but that victory over sin when he got saved only leads to a victory over the problems and the issues in life. Most Christians are like the little Christian mice. You see the scientists put down in a maze and they put a piece of cheese down at the end and the mouse tries to find its way through and he bangs his head on every wall till he finally works his way through hoping to find the cheese. That's the way most of God's people go through life, hoping they find heaven at the end. You know what? And uh, God, uh, we're all in this maze of life. But I thank God that when God gave me the word of God, he gave me a chainsaw and I just cut down the walls and walked straight to the cheese. And that's what God's people need to do today. Now today... And this is why I had you open that verse, that great song. Today I want to look at another aspect of the feeding of the 5,000. I want to show you another great truth about us as God's people. And now in the Bible, you know God's people are like the sheep. Everybody knows that. And without a doubt, I don't know if you know this, that sheep are the dumbest animals on the face of this earth. Without a doubt, they easily get lost they get separated from the flock. They're very timid. They're afraid. They're easily deceived, uh, you know, by their circumstances and their surroundings. They walk right into something and don't see the danger of it. Somebody said one time, I asked a guy, uh, I was out at a farm in Montana. Uh, it wasn't a farm. It was a ranch. It went on for, you know, 50 miles. It was incredible. It took two days to get by horseback to get to the other side of the ranch. And I asked him about sheep. And he says, yeah, he says, you know, you can always tell when sheep get sick. Now, I'm thinking in my mind, there's a message in this because Christians are likened to sheep. And he says, when, when sheep get sick, they do two things. And I say, what is that? And he says, well, they quit eating. And I said, amen. He said, what did you say? I said, never mind. <laughs> I said, what's the second thing? He says, they want to separate from the other sheep. I said, amen. He says, what did you say again? I said, never mind. That's exactly what God's people do. You see, when you start to get out of fellowship with God, the first thing we do as sheep is we quit eating. You know the second thing we do? We don't want to hang out with the people that are the good sheep anymore. And, uh, you know, and so to God, in a spiritual sense, and a physical sense, 
God to help them and to deliver them from being deceived. God has given the sheep, both spiritually and physically, two things to help them. And of course, I'm going to talk about it in the aspect of a church here in a spiritual sense, but the first thing he gave us as sheep is a shepherd. Now, every pastor out there thinks he's the shepherd. That's not true. There's no place in the Bible where in the New Testament that a pastor is likened to a shepherd. The shepherd, that's the Lord Jesus Christ. You'll find that in Isaiah 40, 11, Jeremiah 51, 10, Ezekiel 34, 12, Ezekiel 34, 23, John 10, 2, 1 Peter 2, 25. The shepherd, well, Hebrews 13, 20, Jesus, that great shepherd of the sheep. That's the Lord Jesus Christ. A pastor is not a shepherd. A pastor is a sheepdog. And those are the two things that God gave the church, the same thing he gives to a flock. He gives them a shepherd, his son, the Lord Jesus Christ, and then he gives the church a sheepdog. That would be me. And if you've never been on a farm where they have sheep and watch a sheepdog work, you're missing a blessing, brother. Those dogs are incredible. And uh, they never take their eyes off their sheep. They either lay down and watch them, and sometimes they have multiple, and they stage themselves. They're incredible. And when a sheep starts to get out of the thing, he goes and he, he, <coughs> he nudges him back, and if the sheep doesn't respond, he barks at him. And if that doesn't work, then I've seen them. They, they, they nip at their heels. We got a dog at home, Izzy. Izzy is, we fight over this all the time, but she's, she's sheepdog. Mostly border collie, sheepdog. Yeah. And this dog talks to you. We had a little white dog. His name was Otis, named after the drunken Andy in Griffith Show. My wife's favorite character in that thing. Anyway worried me for many years. <laughs> Otis was a little white, looked like a sheep. And this, Izzy never been to shepherd school ever in her life. She had an instinct, this is going to sound stupid, instincted in her, and it was in her by instinct, to shepherd that little white dog. She thought it was a sheep. She would nudge it along. She would bite his heels. And, you know, it was a thing where that's what they do. And, you know, as a sheepdog, that's what a pastor does. He, he, he guards the flock. He makes sure that the heresy doesn't come in. And sometimes he has to bark at you. And sometimes he has to nip your heels. But he, the dogs never hurt the sheep. They're always nudging him in the right direction and trying to protect them. That's, that's a great analogy. And those two elements will work to keep the sheep safe in a physical sense, but also in a spiritual sense. You know, the Bible says the field is the world in Matthew chapter 13. And you as sheep, you know what? That world is scary out there. And you can get deceived in it easily. That's why God gave you a shepherd, the Lord Jesus Christ. And that's why he gave you a church with a, with a sheepdog. And, you know, in God's people today, the number one issue is simply they get deceived. Hey, I've been in this business for a long time. I'm telling you it's true. And most of the time, they deceive themselves, just as Israel did. And you, we know the parallels are incredible. We, we, you know, we are our biggest problem. We are. And in Christianity, attitude is everything. Now, I want you to see something today, but first you need to understand some things. Now, I want you to know this. God will give you and me a lie to believe 
if we really want one. Ezekiel chapter 13, verses 3, 4, and 5 says this, Son of man, these men have set up their idols in their heart and put the stumbling block of their iniquity before their face. Should I be inquired at all by them? Therefore speak unto them and say unto them, Thus saith the Lord God, Every man of the house of Israel that setteth up his idols in his heart and putteth a stumbling block of his iniquity before his face and cometh to the prophet. I, the Lord, will answer him that cometh according to the multitude of his idols, that I may take the house of Israel in their own heart, because they all estranged from me through their idols. Now that clearly tells you that, you know what? God will give a man a lie to believe if that man wants one. Now, we always use that in the case of an unsaved man, and that's absolutely true. But i got to point out to you, this is an unsaved people here. This is God's people, the nation of Israel. And I am telling you, on the authority of the Word of God, if you're saved here this morning and you reject the Word of God and do your own thing and come up with your own crazy ideas, God will give you a lie to believe if that's what you so desire. And in that is where we get deceived. Unbelievable. And when we set ourselves up to believe what we want instead of what God says, that's exactly what happens. Now, this is exactly how people get out of fellowship. You know, it's a lifestyle of deception. Uh, you know, uh, deception, living a lie, pretending you're one thing and actually believing it. You know, deception will always lead to denial. And you find a lot of God's people today that go to churches, they claim to be saved, probably are, but their life is one of complete denial. And yet, they want to portray to everybody that they're right and everybody else is wrong. And yet, when you look at it, they lose their kids. They lose their Bible-believing church. I mean, I, I've seen it all my ministry. You know, on Monday, the church is the greatest thing since sliced bread, and you love it, and on Tuesday, something happened, and now you don't like it anymore. Really? They lose their marriage. They completely deceive themselves, and God will use uh, them, uh, will not use them in any capacity. They get an attitude about something and won't deal with it biblically, so they, they just pretend that they're okay, and yet, you know, you see it how many times have I seen it where their own kids want nothing to do with them. And, uh, you know, and 100% of the time, the old biblical principle, birds of a feather flock together, they link up with other people just like them, and then together they soothe each other's wounds and feed each other's egos, uh, and in all cases, it's an absolute train wreck. The whole Christian life is a train wreck as far as what the Bible says. Yet, they're right and everybody else is wrong. It doesn't matter what's not going on in their life. Somebody said to me one time about one of you, and I won't say who it is, and they said, well, I don't like so-and-so, and, -so, and uh, I don't like the way they, they do this. And this person that said that was absolutely worthless. And my answer to them was, oh, I understand, but let me just say this. I like what they're doing for the Lord a lot better than what you're not doing. And that's the bottom line. Don't give me this gas about your right. Don't give me this gas about how spiritual you are. What is that title of that song again? I didn't hear anything you said. You're all mumbled. But you know what I'm talking about. Read it for yourself.
from a Bible standpoint, Ezekiel chapter 13, people get the lie that they want to believe if that's where they want to deceive themselves. And I've seen it happen. God may pull (coughs) one or two of your kids out of your toilet bowl life and establish them, but at the end of the day, God's done with you. You're going nowhere. All you have is Facebook and Twitter and your friends on that, but as far as, you know, you may get on face-to-face with Facebook, but your face-to-face with God like Moses is not going to happen. Now, my message today is built around one verse. And I'm going to tell you right now, this is where I have that, it's going to be a tough message. The sheepdog is going to bark a little bit today. Yeah, okay, well, you say that now. We'll see if you say that at the end. I mean, if you really love this, at the end of this, I, I expect to be showered with Panera bread cards. <laughs> but there are some things that we as a church need to understand today. And you know I love you. The dog, sheepdog, loves the sheep. You never hurt him. But sometimes he has to bark at him. Sometimes he has to nip at the heels. You decide which it is today. And this verse I'm going to preach on today will will show us that in Christianity today, as in Jesus' day, not everybody was on the same page with him. And yet, if you just read the story of the feeding of the 5,000 and never really study it, you'd come away thinking all 5,000 people were behind him. This study will deal with two things that you and I need to fully look at in our Christian life, and one of them is attitude of heart and your motive. Now, after this incredible feeding of this miracle of the 5,000 with the loaves and the fishes, verse 15 says, When Jesus therefore perceived that they would come and take him by force to make him king, He departed again into a mountain himself alone. Let's pray. Father, we do thank you and praise you for the Lord Jesus. We love you today. We thank you for the folks that have come out today. These are good people. And Lord, they love you. And Lord, I I hope that today this message uh, is just uh, something that we can all uh, gravitate to and, and learn from. Put us under the blood today, Lord. Forgive us where we failed thee and allow us to open up Uh, Lord, to us, the Word of God, that we may leave here today with a better understanding. That's all we want today. We want to understand you better. Because in understanding you better, then we'll understand ourselves better. And we'll thank you for all you do. In Jesus' name, for sake we ask it. Amen. When I was a young kid, my mom and I, I and dad and my sister Sharon, were going someplace. We stopped at a truck stop. I was just a little guy. And I watched this trucker get out of his truck with a big steel bar. And he was whacking his tires. How many of you ever saw a truck guy do that? Okay, he's whack, whacking the tires. And I'm just a little guy. And I'm thinking to myself, wow, you must be really upset about something. <laughs> <clears throat> you know, and we used to, with trucks, we used to do this when they'd go down the thing and they'd honk their horns. How many of you ever done that? You're dating yourself. Anyway, and he's beating all of his tires. And so I walk over to him and I say, hey, buddy, sir, I said, uh, uh, nice truck. And he says, well, thank you, young man. I said, I just wanted to know, uh, is there something wrong? 
you're, you're, you're beating your tires with that big bar. And he says, no, no, nothing wrong at all. He said, I said, well, why do you do that? And he says, I just want to make sure everything's okay with the tires so when you beat on them, you, you know they're okay. No, I learned a lot from that. And I want to tell you today, I'm not mad at you. I love you to death. But I'm going to beat the tires a little bit today. You okay with that? Amen. I don't care. <laughs> I waited all week to tell that story to tie it into this message. <laughs> I woke up at 4 o'clock in the morning, told her to bar, but she didn't. She was sleeping. She didn't hear it. But, but she did look up and say, what are you doing with that iron bar in your hand? <laughs> Now, let me say this to you. In this great miracle of the feeding of the 5,000, not everybody had the right attitude and the right motive. And that would be true of Christianity today. That would be true of churches today. I'd be less than honest with you if I would like, maybe I've deceived myself, that if I would... I would like to think that everybody here is on the same page and you wouldn't fit in this category, but I'm probably wrong on that, but I'd like to believe that. Probably will continue to deceive myself and believe that. But you'll have to decide for yourself. We saw last week that God set it all up for them, all 5,000 of them. He got them to a place where there was much grass. He got them alone. He did a supernatural miracle for the food. They can have all they want and even more for later. Everything they needed to get all God had for them, just like you have here, all you want. And now they want to take him by force to make him their king. But he reads so well the hearts of men, doesn't he? And I want you to know, this morning, right now, in this moment of time, he's reading our hearts. And not everybody is really who they claim to be in this story, just as in Christianity and most churches, not everybody is really who they claim to be. And he perceived the real reason for their action to make him king. Now, to get this story together, you've got to jump over here in the same chapter to verse 25 and 26. He goes into a mountain. The disciples come looking for him because they can't find him because he goes because he doesn't want them to take and force him to be king. And this is what happens. And when they had found him on the other side of the sea, they said to them, Rabbi, when camest thou hither? Jesus answered them and said, Verily, verily, I say unto you, you seek me not because you saw the miracles, but because you did eat of the loaves and were filled. You see, there were people in that congregation, just like in congregations today, that they cared nothing about the supernatural miracle. To them, listen to me, to them, listen to me, all Jesus was was a spiritual meal ticket. And so many of God's people today, just like back then, they just go through, uh, they, they go to a Bible-believing church or, or not. They take all the supernatural food that from, from God's Word. And, 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 and what, 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 what was the name of that song again? And they never do anything with what He gives them. It's incredible. It's incredible. Oh, <laughs> we expect Him to be there for our every need, do we not? Yes, we do. 
answer every prayer and actually get upset with him when he doesn't come through. Psalms 46 says that he's my very present help in a time of trouble. And you better be there when I need you because you promised me that. We cry out when our kids are sick or need an operation. Oh, God! We cry out when we struggle with some issues in life. Oh, God, I don't know if I can do this. We get a bad report from the doctor, and the first thing we do is fall on our knees or drive home and say, Oh, God, I'm putting it into your hands. Oh, we so much appreciate his death on the cross and the suffering that he went through for you and me to have our salvation. But not one time will we be inconvenienced to pay a price or suffer for him. But boy, just don't let him come through for us one time. We as God's people, as the nation of Israel in the Old Testament, A.J. said it last time he preached, are the most selfish, godless excuses for a child of God you could ever find. We take everything God has for us. He is just our spiritual meal ticket. We take everything He has, everything He gives us. We demand. We pray over our food for God to give us strength to serve Him and then never serve Him. (laughs) We're incredible. It's all about us. Just like Israel. He fed 5,000. They saw the great miracles and they wanted to make him king. Not because they loved him. Not because they believed in the miracle. They just wanted to keep eating. A lot of God's people like that. We are today, as God's people... The poster child for Luke chapter 6, verse 46, when he says, Why call ye me Lord, Lord, and not do the things which I say? Today would have been a good day to have a headache. Today would have been a good day to have a ball game. Today would have been a good day to go see Aunt Edna. She's not at home. She's on the top of the family thruster out there in the west someplace. (laughs) We see it with Israel. And we see it with us. Oh, Isaiah chapter 29. Just listen to this. Chapter 29, verses 9 through 13. He's talking about the nation of Israel historically. He's talking about us. Stay yourselves and wonder. Boy, that's what we ought to do today. Stay means stop. We are so busy doing our own thing. Hey, let's just stop today and wonder. Let's don't wonder about God. Let's don't wonder if God's going to come through. Let's just wonder about us. Look at the person sitting next to your right. Look at the person sitting to your left. Don't wonder about them. Wonder about you. Stay yourselves and wonder. Cry ye out and cry that are drunken, but not with wine. They stagger, but not with strong drink. For the Lord hath poured out upon you the spirit of deep sleep and hath closed your eyes, the prophets and your rulers, the seers hath he covered. 
and the vision of all is become unto you as the words of a book that is sealed, which men delivered to one that is learned, saying, Read this, I pray thee. And he saith, I cannot, for it is sealed. And the book is delivered to him that is unlearned, saying, Read this, I pray thee. And he saith, I am not learned. Wherefore the Lord said, For as much as this people draw near me with their mouth, and with their lips they do honor me, but have removed their heart far from me, and their fear toward me is taught by the precept of men. You know what? You know what Israel did? They do the same thing we did. They gave God lip service, but their heart was far from him. Now look at the result here. Verse 9. He says, you stagger like a drunk, but you're not drunk. You trip and fall over everything like a drunk does, yet you're not drunk. You stumble in the darkness of this world because there's no light of God in it, and you stagger and fall like a drunk does, and you've never had a drink. Verse 10 says, he gives you a spirit of deep sleep. And he covered your eyes. And he covered your eyes with the men that you follow out there. The people you hang out with. Your Facebook buddies. Your crowd that you, you, you run around with. They're as blind as you are. Because your attitude of heart toward him. Verse 11 says, God sealed the book. And you no longer get anything from it. That's why... <coughs> that's why... You know, you've been saved 10, 15, 20, 30 years. And you still can't figure the Bible out. You know why? Spirit of deep sleep. Book's sealed to you. Verse 11 says, God sealed the book and you now get nothing from it but stupid stuff. You're blind in that, to that book and the real issues of life. You yourself, verse 12, know nothing and are so caught up in all of the things that you're going through and stumbling over. And you know what the real reason is why, why you were like this and why the way we are? Verse 13, wherefore the Lord said, for as much as the people draw near to me with their mouth and with their lips do hear me, but they have removed their heart far from me. And the fear toward me is not taught by is not but by the word of the Lord, but by the precept of men. That's where we're at today. Why? Lip service. We just tell God what we think he wants to hear. We get up and we pray great things, but it really doesn't mean anything. We say to each other, I'll pray for you, and then lose sight of that 10 seconds later. There's all kinds of people out there God would love to put into our lives, but you know why he doesn't? Because you don't care. Lip service. You get what you want. I get what I want. We get what we want from God, but forget Him. We use Him just like we use churches and everything else in life. Then just do whatever we want to do and give Him lip service. Thank you, Lord, for saving my soul. Don't bother me today. I got things I got to do. Jesus, lover of my soul. I wish we loved him as much as he loved us. Oh, we love what we get, the Bible. Oh, you want. 
I wouldn't be anywhere else in this church. <coughs> I've looked all over the place. You just can't find a church like this that teaches the Bible. It's all talk. It's all gas. It's all hot air. It's all lip service. And like the men in John chapter 6, you try to folk force him to be your king. You pretend that everything's okay, that you can get everything for him, but giving nothing back to him. You know why? He is just your spiritual meal ticket. That's all it is. Don't you tell me. And God's people today, we've deceived ourselves. There's no real biblical relationship with him or his word. There's no real commitment in anything to his work or what he's called us to do. What does the song say? What can I do for Jesus? Let me answer that for you. Not a thing. I'm too busy getting everything I need. I want everything God has for me. And if you don't give it to me, I'll leave church. I'm going to get an attitude. Not one time. Not one time. Have most of us ever sat down and simply said in the quietness of staying and wondering and asked the Lord, Lord, what do you really want me to do for you? You've done so much for me. What do you want me to do for you? It isn't about that. It's Lord. I had a preacher tell me one time, I learned a lot from this guy. In a lot of ways, he was, he was a real mentor in my life. And he said one time to me, we were talking on a, we were, I was driving him down to Springfield and we would have some good long talks about people in the ministry. And he says, you know, let me tell you something, Bob, about people. People will never remember what you did for them yesterday. All they want to know is what you're going to do for them today. And boy, if that isn't true with us and God. We don't remember what God did for us yesterday. All we want to know, hey, what are you going to do for me today? What are you going to fix for me? And don't, don't, don't bother me with all the things that you need. I don't want to get into that. I, 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 want, to, I want what I need. Like Israel, Malachi chapter 1, verse 7 and 8, we have polluted bread and polluted sacrifices. Like Israel, Hosea chapter 4, verse 10, for they eat and not have enough, and they commit whoredoms and shall not increase because they have left off to take heed to the Lord. Aspiring Christian life going down of a child of God. Never enough, always want more, but there's no real increase in your life with God. Why? It's simple. He tells you at the end of the verse, you're left off to take heed to the Lord. And I say it again. It had to be in the heart of every one of us this morning. Why call ye me Lord, Lord, and not do the things which I say? And just like Israel, we got our lie, and we actually think we're okay just because we come to a Bible-believing church, have the right Bible, to show up Thursday night and Sunday morning. And now God has given you, you know, everything that he has. And as Micah chapter 2 verse 11 says, that God has now given man in the nation of Israel and today the spirit of falsehood. And God's people are walking in it today. 
And we are so deceived in what we believe. Our life is a disaster. Our children are a disaster. Your marriage is a disaster. There's not one speck of God using you in anything in your life. And yet, you're right and everybody else is wrong. If I may just a moment, allow me to talk to you about the spirit of falsehood. There's a number of different spirits in the Bible. There's a spirit of jealousy. There's a spirit of fear. And there's a spirit of falsehood. Most people don't understand this, but within any family. And what I'm about to tell you is a reason why so many people that I've met all my Christian life are really nice people. They're good people. They come to church, but their kids wind up being a disaster. And people scratch their head. I know I have over the years, so I figured this out and looked at it and said, now what in the world is going on? You know what's going on? I'm going to tell you something. As a mom and dad, you are the prevailing spirit in your family. Whatever spirit that you have, whether it's a spirit of truth or your life is not really what it needs to be and it's a spiritual falsehood, the spirit in the Bible is like water, Ezekiel chapter 40 through chapter 8, and you know water gets everywhere. And without you ever, your kids ever seeing you take a drink, maybe you don't, ever do this, ever do that, ever lose your temper, without ever seeing that, whatever spirit is emanating from you, whether it's based on the Word of God or based on just you don't want anything to do with it, you've got your own career in your life, that same spirit will manifest itself into your kids. We're sitting here this morning and I'm preaching the Word of God and I can tell you this right now, 100% accurate. The Holy Spirit of God is walking up and down these aisles. I don't know what your problems are. Maybe you're great. Maybe you're doing good. Maybe you have no problems. I don't know. But whatever your issue is, the Holy Spirit of God is pushing your hot button. You know why? That's what a spirit does. I can't stop it. I can't control it. I can't make it start. It's God's spirit that permeates this place when the word of God is preached. And let me tell you something in your life and in your family, when the word of God is not permeating it, there's a spirit that goes forth. Spirit of falsehood. And I'm just telling you, you know what he said in Job chapter 26, verse 5, at the judgment seat of Christ on those six questions he asked, whose spirit came from you in your life with the people you hang with, in your own family? Whose spirit comes from you? Because that spirit will either be the spirit of God or will be the spirit of falsehood, spirit of deception, spirit of whatever. But you can't stop it. Oh, I saw that years and years and years in my ministry working with people, good people. And yet I, I spent half the night out looking for their kids. And they were deacons. They were pastors. And I, I just couldn't figure it out. And then one day I came across that verse and it all connected for me. And I thought to myself, it's the Spirit. And I, if I could give you any advice as a parent, if I could give you any advice as an up-and-coming parent, if you've got kids, this would be my advice to you over everything else. I mean, yeah, the Bible, all that stuff is great. But over everything else, it would be watch the spirit that comes from you and your family. 
because somebody's walking in the spirit of falsehood. They think here they're doing wonderful. They think here that everything's okay. You know what to do? You, you, you got the front door locked and bolted and you got all the hinges welded shut. You know what? The devil comes in the back door. And you're sitting there thinking, wow, it's great. I'm doing good. I go to church. I go to Old Past Baptist Temple. I got a King James Bible. It isn't about any of that if you've got the wrong spirit. It's about what spirit comes from you. You watch two Christians get into an issue. And you don't have to worry about, you know, everybody says, how do you know who's right and who's wrong? It's simple. Whoever wants to sit down with the Word of God and work it out is the one who's doing what's right. The one who doesn't want to do it and moves on and goes someplace else, there's the spirit of falsehood. Now you get both of them to sit down and, and get into the Bible. You know what you do? Praise the Lord. You solve the problem. Because you have the Spirit of the Holy Spirit of God. But you either have the Holy Spirit of God permeating your world or you have the spirit of falsehood. Sorry. I thought several times about ripping that part out of the message and just not doing it, but then being the wonderful sheepdog that I am, I couldn't do it. Spirit of falsehood. That spirit's like water, boy. It just gets everywhere. And just like Israel, Jeremiah chapter 23, verse 25, we live in a dream world. That's what he says. He says they live in a dream world. Israel was in a dream world. They're walking around like everything is wonderful. They're walking around like everything is fine. They're walking around. They got the priesthood. They got the sacrifices. They got everything. Just like most Christians have their Bible. They have their church. They have their Sunday morning service. They have their Sunday evening service. They have their Wednesday service. They have everything they got going. And you know what? It was a falsehood. It's a dream world. You know why you never want to go to a church where the pastor just tells you how wonderful you are? And you are wonderful. You don't want that dream floating around in your head. I never want you to leave a preach, preaching service that I preach that you ain't looking at yourself, that you ain't stopping and wondering who you really are. And I don't care. You know, you, you preach sermons and people get upset and they get mad. Well, I don't like think you should have said that. Well, you know what? I said it. Maybe after a while you'll think why I should have said it. Maybe when the Holy Spirit of God starts to work on you and wakes you out of that dream world you're in, you'll see it. Probably not, but you never know. It's a dream world. God's people, you know, Martin Luther King said, I have a dream. Yeah, he sure did. Now, you know what? Christianity has a dream world. We're living in it. We think everything is fine. Everything is wonderful. Everything is beautiful. Everything is great when it isn't because we're walking in the spirit of falsehood. And that's why people don't like churches. You know, I got to say this for you. I mean, you're either a, you're either a mass aesthetic where you like to cut yourself and bleed or you or hurt yourself or you just like good preaching because why some of you stick in here, I don't understand because I don't cut you any slack. I don't cut myself any slack. I'm not preaching this to you. I'm preaching this to me. And it's a situation where, you know what? We, have to, we, have to, we need this message. In the day and age we live in, it, this whole world we're living in is a dream world. They're trying to propagate you that the world's a great place. We're getting better. Build back stronger. Build back this. You ain't going to build back nothing. Amen. This thing is over. But they want to propagate the dream that everything is okay and you're doing just wonderful. And we're not. And now just like the nation of Israel in Hosea chapter 8 verse 12, the great things of God have become strange things. We don't, we don't get it. We don't understand it. 
the great things that God wants to give to us, we look at them and we say, what in the world is that? And now just like Israel, God's people, Isaiah chapter 5, verse 20, now we call the good things are called evil and the evil things are called good. Spirit of falsehood in a dream world. And God's people today have deceived themselves because they serve God with their lips but not with their hearts. We will take and demand everything you think he should do for you and as I said, get mad when he doesn't come through. Through the way we think. Never one time do we ever consider what he wants for us. But oh, how I love Jesus. Now the key to all this always having the right spirit as well as we can is to always have a biblical principle you follow in everything that you do. This is why I beat you to death on biblical principles. This is why you know, I, you should have a notebook of them. This is why you should memorize them. This ought to be, these ought to be the fragments in your basket that God brings up when you need them. Every situation you'll face in life there will be a biblical process to go through it and fix it or at least understand it. And we should never violate those principles for the principles of the Word of God will be the heart of God. And when he talks about giving a lip service in your heart far from him, he's simply saying that, you know, we talk all the right things. We say the right thing. We, we've learned the lingo. But our heart isn't based on the principles of the Word of God. You know, if you took the whole Christian life and boiled it down to just one thought. It would simply be me and you as God's child getting into the Word of God and making God's heart our heart. And that will simply be what we do with the Word of God. And this is why you see God's people, and I've had them in my ministry all my life. And I know there's a lot of young Christians here, and you're learning and growing, and I, I, you know what? I love that, and we're here to answer your questions and help you. But you know what? From a pastor's standpoint, somebody that's been saved, what, 10, 15, 20, 30 years, and you're still asking the questions that newborn baby Christians are asking? What's wrong? Why, why, why have you not come to the place where you... You understand these things now. And I know you're not going to understand it all, but come on. I mean, I, sometimes I, you know, I, get, I get email questions you know, from people who, who obviously know better. I mean, they've been around in the Bible 30 years. And it's still the baby two-step. You know why? Because all their life they've deceived themselves. They never built a real relationship with God. If you put the Song of Solomon in front of them and told them to lay out God's view of you and your view of God, they couldn't do it if you put a gun to their head. If you took them over to Ephesians and asked them to lay out the book and show you how that is the spiritual Song of Solomon, they couldn't do it. I'm not expecting all you young guys and gals to do that. I'm not expecting you moms and dads to be able to do that. But let me tell you something. If you've been around, you know, in the Bible for 20 years, come on, man. What's going on? Why call ye me Lord, Lord, and not do the things which I say? And I know, I know as well as I say that, some of you were right on, t on the ticket, man. Just like the feeding of the 5,000. I don't know how many of them didn't have the right attitude or the right motive, but I know some of them did. Maybe the majority of them did. And that's true of any church. 
You're going to find people who got it together. You're going to find people who understand it. You're going to find people who you, every day of your life, you strive to put those principles to work in your life. And you do everything you're supposed to do. And we all fail. We all make mistakes. Nobody's going to crack a thousand. It isn't about that. It's about the consistency of our lives around the supernatural book. It's about not taking God just as my spiritual meal ticket. Not just wanting from him, but finding out like that song that Danny sang at the last one. Finding out what you can do for him. What does he want from you? Not what do you want from him. What are you willing to give him? I mean, he, on the cross, he gave you everything. And what, you're going to hold it back now? You're going to dribble it out a little bit at a time? Really? What if he'd have taken a year to die on the cross and nailed one hand six months later, nailed the other hand, and then six months later, one foot in the other? Would that have worked? He was a total, complete sacrifice for you and for me and everything that he did. But we don't see it that way. He was complete for me, but I'm going to drabble it out and dibble it out to him as I see fit. Oh, I want everything that he's got for me, but here, Lord, I'm going to give you one breadcrumb at a time. We need this message in the day and age that we live in. We need this message because we're all up against it, and we're living in a world that is an absolute walking spiritual falsehood. And if we don't stay in that book, if you don't stay those promises in your life, if you don't understand what I've said today and see how the nation of Israel, that 5,000, not everybody. I mean, when you read the story, wow, you think, wow, 5,000 people, they want to make him king. No, they do what we try to do. We try to force him. We don't do what's right. We don't follow the protocol, but we like them. We try to force him to be our king. And you know what he did to them? He left them and went someplace else. You know what he'll do when we try to do it? He'll just move off someplace else. Oh, you're still saved. But the bottom line is he wants no part of the spirit of falsehood. He wants the spirit of truth. And I'm not saying you're not going to make some mistakes and you're not going to do some dumb things and you're going to be 100% perfect. Nobody is. But it's the consistency of it. And that's why this story is a powerful story. And that's why... I gave you the feeding of the 5,000 last week, and I just couldn't move on without showing you that. Because God's people back then are just like God's people today. And we're all just a half a step away from making him our spiritual meal ticket and never one time caring about what he does. We're so busy. We got our careers. We got this. We got that. We just don't have... Oh, we were so thankful that he gave it all to me. But you don't understand, Lord, I am so busy... I just don't have time to give anything back. Spirit of falsehood. Well, every head bowed and every eye closed. Now, let me just say this. Now, just listen to me for a moment. Maybe you're here this morning and, you know, you have never trusted the Lord Jesus Christ as your own personal Savior. And you know, you know, you know you need a change. And I want to tell you right now, it isn't any accident that everybody's here this morning. We got people out of town. I got this. We got people here now. But I'm telling you, if you're here, you're here by divine appointment. God wanted you to hear something today. And I don't know what that is to everyone here. I only know what it is to me. But I am telling you right now, God is speaking to your heart as I speak to you in the Holy Spirit of God is walking up and down these aisles and he's touching your heart and your life 
And he's saying it's time to give up the spiritual falsehood. And if you're here this morning and life's given you, left you empty, if you're sitting here this morning and you're saying, man, I need something more than this, if you're sitting here this morning saying, man, there's got to be something more to life than this, I just, I just can't, I need a change in my life, you have come to the right place because here you're going to find the Lord Jesus Christ. And you're going to get introduced to the best friend you could ever have. You're going to get surrounded by people who will be the best people you could ever associate with. And we are going to help you. We're going to be there for you. We're going to, you'll never have to face one more issue in your life. We will build everything for you and with you. Now, maybe you're here this morning, and here's the question. Maybe you're here this morning, and you don't know for sure if you were to die today that you'd go to heaven to be with the Lord Jesus Christ for eternity. Notice I didn't ask you if you were saved. I didn't ask you if you were born again. That's, that's I, I cut right to it. The real question today is this. If you dropped over dead right now, do you know 100% sure that you'd go to heaven when you die? And if you don't know that, my advice to you, my dear friend, and I love you very much, and God has obviously spoken to your heart, I would consider, I'd stop, I'd stay and consider where you're at today. Now, our heads are bowed and our eyes are closed and no one's looking around but me. And I would ask you right now, with every head bowed and every eye closed, if you're here this morning and you don't know for sure if you died right now, you'd go to heaven. Nobody's looking around, just me. But I want to pray for you. I won't embarrass you. Nobody's going to come in. But would you just lift up your hand and let me see it and put it back down and say, Bob, I'm not sure. I'm not sure. Here's my hand. Pray for me. Anybody? God bless you, sweetheart. Anybody else? Anybody else? Go take courage, but that's what it's all about. You want a change of life? Here it is. This is it. This is where it starts. Anybody else? Not going to wait for the moment. One brave lady raised her hand. Anybody else? Now, Father, we do thank you and praise you for the Lord Jesus, and we do love you so much. And I thank you, Father, for the courage that this dear lady had to raise her hand. And Lord, I just pray today that you'll, you'll, you'll be able to do in her life what you've done in all of our lives, and that is to show her your love and your grace, that you died on the cross for her, and the Lord, that you have, you have given it all to her. And I just ask you, Father, now to, to take and, and, and do in her life uh, that she would allow you to do that, and we'll thank you and praise you in Jesus' name. Every head bowed and every eye closed. Now, look. Sweetheart, you raise your hand. I, I got, I got uh, some ladies here that if you'd like to, that we take you in the back and we open up the Bible and we show how you could forget all your sins forgiven and have a new beginning in life. All I need for you to do is just stand up where you're at and we'll take you in the back right now. Will you do that, honey? Will you do it? God bless you. Amen. Sonia brought her. I want Sonia to help with her. Okay, Sonia, you go with Barbara. God bless you, sweetheart. I'm proud of you. Don't see there? You know why she came this morning? Because she had some issues in her life, and one of our ladies cared enough to get into her world, sharing your life with somebody else. 
texted me this morning, so excited. She's coming to church. Praise the Lord. Maybe I get a chance to lead her to Christ. Yeah, you will. Praise the Lord. She got saved this morning because somebody cared enough to invite her. Somebody stopped and considered. Now, I'm going to be done in just a moment. I'm going to run across one more time. Maybe you're a young man here this morning or another young lady. You're not sure. Just stand up wherever you're at. I'll have one of my young men, if you're a young man, one of my young ladies, if you're a young lady, take you back in the back and open up the scriptures and show you how to be saved. Anybody else? Anybody else? Only going to wait for a moment here. Anybody else? This is for you. Father, we do thank you and praise you for the Lord Jesus. Thank you for, for the words of your message today for my own heart. Lord, uh, it's, it's, it's hard in this world today to always stay on course. And Lord, it's, it's good for all of us to look back at the examples of the nation of Israel and see their struggles and see what they went through and how that we look at this great miracle. And I don't think all of my years... I have ever heard with all the messages I've heard on the feeding of the 5,000, anybody take it to where we took it today. You know why? Because all they see is the great miracle. They never understand that in every congregation, not everybody is on board with what the Lord is doing. And many, many of God's people, just like the nation of Israel, the only reason they wanted to make him king is because he was feeding them a spiritual meal ticket. Help us, Lord, to get beyond that. Help us to love you for what you've done for us and to dedicate our lives to give back to you. Help us, every family in this church, to shed out the spirit of falsehood and to bring in the spirit of the Word of God that permeates our children, permeates our lives, and lets them see at every turn the principles of the Word of God in play, that they know what's expected of them. They know what's right, what's wrong, what will be tolerated, what will not be and set them on that course through the spirit of truth. Thank you for this dear lady who even now is <coughs> opening up the word of God and trust in Christ. Thank you, Father, for all you do for us. In Jesus' name, for sake we ask it. Amen. All right, you know where all the meetings are you've got to go to. And uh, if you're going to be able to help me tomorrow night, either see me or Josh Smith over here, and we'll get you all set up.